Ed, how are you doing? Are you all the Euro crazy? I'm very good, yeah, I've been enjoying it. It's been some high-quality football, I think it's been a really good tournament so far. The, the best international tournament for some time, I'd say. Way better than World Cup 2010. Yeah, not not even close. I mean, I remember the 2008 European Championships being kind of exciting and open and pretty interesting. Maybe that's just the false memory, but, but that is my memory of that tournament. A lot of attacking football. But this one's just been terrific. Jonathan Wilson's talked a lot about proactive and reactive teams. He, he was talking about the footballing psyche adapting to the existence of Barcelona and and their dominance sort of justifying the kind of purely reactive football we've seen from Chelsea and Mourinho's Inter which has managed to defeat Barcelona and and there's been a lot of that sort of thing um in the first yeah there's been some real contrast I think in the styles between teams haven't there and uh, not not everyone's at polls but there are quite a few I mean I guess we'll we'll come to talk on uh, about some of our our favorite games and players and and so on but in a more general sense there have definitely been some very attacking open side and some perhaps more attacking and, and open than we thought but on the flip side some sides have definitely set out to get no more than draws or in fact uh, have just been much poorer than we expected of uh, there you go I guess you get that with every tournament I think I think the thing about the Euros is the level in standard between the, the bottom team and the top team is much closer than in the World Cup and I think that's that's made for some pretty interesting battles between teams oh uh- we're recording this on Thursday evening before the Thursday evening games, so we can't talk about the gap in quality, perhaps perhaps even feasibly the biggest gap in quality in the tournament, which is maybe between the Republic of Ireland and Spain. I'd say Republic of Ireland have possibly been the least impressive teams of the first calendar week of the tournament, uh, other than maybe Greece. Greece has been pretty poor, yes, uh, although I'm not sure anyone was particularly shocked with that one. Uh, biggest disappointment for me has been Holland, and not, not that they have been poor per se, say but we expected so much more of them didn't we and all the talented players on show and and uh, just hasn't come out at all they haven't been poor per se but he has been poor van Persie. yes absolutely he's had a shocker i mean aside from the sort of the last 10 minutes against germany and the, and the fine goal that he scored uh, he's had a really poor tournament and and it's hard to think of anyone in the dutch squad apart from perhaps Wesley schneider he's, he's had a good tournament i mean the, the thing with schneider is that uh, I, i'm not sure he's stood out in the same way that he did in 2010 but look at his stats and and they look very good right lots and lots of passes uh, by Dutch standards anyway and and creating a lot of chances so I think uh, he's got eight key chances or passes made per game so far yeah I mean I kind of profoundly disagree with you in the sense that Schneider hasn't stood out like he did in 2010 I think if anything he stood out more than he did in 2010 it's just that he's been incredibly badly let down by his teammates so all the gorgeous passes and fantastic chances he's set up have been squandered if they hadn't we'd I'm pretty sure we'd all be saying that after the first week Wesley Schneider's the player of the tournament because he, he's the one ray of light in an otherwise terrible Holland side and they're not quite out mathematically but just can't see them coming back into it no right and, and I suppose while we're on group B we should we should cover that one they're expecting a not not far short of a miracle they're expecting Germany to lose to Denmark and we wouldn't expect that although it, I think Germany will probably rest some players for the third game the bad thing for Holland of course is that Germany aren't qualified themselves they they can go out if they lose so they have to make sure that, that doesn't happen and 
it's not looking good for them. Uh, there, lots of things could happen in that group. I mean, it, it's uh, it's remarkable, really, that in theory you could qualify from a group with two points uh, and also not qualify with six. But that's uh, that's the way it could happen. But I'd I'd still expect Germany to go through. The the, the other slot's pretty tight, isn't it? I mean, it really depends what happens with Portugal and and they've you know dug themselves out of a really deep hole with that late late win uh, against Denmark the other night. Yeah, I mean they couldn't qualify with two points, but they could with three because of course Denmark have already got three points from their win on the second day of the tournament which is a pretty exciting moment I mean Holland just absolutely destroyed Denmark from start to finish but couldn't put the ball in the net and Denmark had basically well, I think they had two chances and took one of them essentially to, to win with what was a pretty jammy 1-0 but then you know they got a couple of goals Nicholas Bentner likes playing when Portugal are playing much more than Cristiano Ronaldo likes playing when Portugal are playing uh, Bentner clearly the better player out of him and Ronaldo oh yeah absolutely yeah. but the funny thing with Ronaldo is I mean he, look, he doesn't have a bad record with Portugal at all so he, he's not had a good tournament record and that's um, that's uh, I guess the thing that people remember most closely don't they and and he's not having a good tournament so far he's definitely one of the disappointments of the tournament so far I'd say and, and he missed some very good chances against Denmark two two one-on-ones with the keeper which you'd expect him to bury and, and in fact he was instead of going around a goalkeeper he shot wide about three yards wide with one of them which was stunning really because you wouldn't expect that with Real Madrid at all I think there's a he plays in a slightly different way though for Portugal it's almost as if the, the pressure's all on him and he feels that he has to do it all himself and he goes a little bit insular I'm not sure that's bringing the best out of him Nani on the other hand had a fine game yeah excellent a wonderful assist for one of the goals and just generally looked lively and dangerous and looked better than Ronaldo as he, he well he says he's as good as Ronaldo I mean it, it was shocking to see Cristiano play that poorly I'm not sure I ever remember him playing quite that badly just just I certainly don't remember any game where he's had two one-on-ones with a keeper and not taken either of them and how relieved he was at the end of the game when Varela nicked a somewhat undeserved win for Portugal because although they, they did have a lot of chances I think Denmark were pretty unlucky in that game yeah most relieved man in Ukraine at that moment I'd say Ronaldo especially after he blew that opportunity just moments before really and yeah but I'm not sure Portugal deserved to get anything out of it great great game and great entertainment but not not always the highest quality defensively from either side I mean any 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 game in which Nicholas Bentner scores twice uh, you've got to worry about the defending right he just scores every time he plays against Portugal that's five in a row that he's scored in which is weird that he's even played against Portugal that many times they keep being drawn against each other in qualification groups so I guess before we move on from group b germany who have quietly gone about their business and mario gomez joint top scorer scored an absolute peach of a goal in the game uh, against the dutch the spin to take it away from the defenders and then the cool finish just loved that that might be no, i'm not saying it's the best goal of the tournament so far which i think is probably the polish captain's goal you know you all know what his name is right Blazikowski. that's it that's it the polish captain his goal was excellent but i, I just loved that gomez goal i love anything any bit of skill like that it, it it's, it really sort of sets the pulse racing, doesn't it, to, to see players do that kind of thing. And the Germans, overall, they were pretty fortunate against Portugal in the first game. I mean, it was a very tight game, and th- that was maybe one of the cagier games of the tournament so far. A real a real sense that neither team wanted to lose that one. But Portugal came to life in the last 10 minutes, didn't they? The last 20 minutes, really, and, and gave the Germans a bit of a game. But otherwise, it's, it's been kind of cruise control from Germany. They still look inside themselves, and yet they've got six points, and their striker is joint top scorer in the tournament so far. It's kind of ominous for the rest of the teams. Yeah, I think you're 
right. I don't think at any point they looked like they weren't going to win either of those games. I think they were in complete control. And I'm sure Portugal gave them the game when it was almost too late. And, and ditto Holland, really, who looked completely at sea for 70-odd minutes, I suppose, against Germany. I mean, OK, better in the second half but it almost looked as if if Germany needed to step up a gear they couldn't and they look remarkably strong in all positions I mean you'd say the weak links in the last tournament or say was a back four but but Hummels has had such an outstanding season for Borussia Dortmund one we picked out ahead of the tournament right and and he's had a brilliant tournament so far looks looks really really classy and Gomez you'd have said well that might be an issue if only based on his record for Germany at times but but he's been uh, excellent too I mean certainly in terms of the goal scoring against Holland so they're looking formidable and it's hard to pick a a weak point out in the team now the interesting thing is that you know apparently they do have a few sort of bumps and scrapes and a few tired limbs and stuff and they do want to rotate so will players come in and be as effective you've got to say the depth of their squad looks really good though so you know you'd probably if you were ranking the sides based on the first round and a half or so of of games that we've seen so far then you'd probably put Germany top so I guess having done we're not doing these in the right order but having done uh, group B the group of death we should do boring old rubbish old not going to be very interesting at all no goals no excitement group A uh, what do I know about football clearly nothing everyone said the same thing but uh, there's been some great games in group A uh, one of the first games of course Russia against Czech Republic and, and 4-1 to Russia and they look absolutely outstanding and there's this kid Arshavin who uh, looks quite good I mean he might, might fit the Arsenal style of play don't you think uh, do you remember that day when uh, Nanny suddenly turned into Nanny's brother who was like Nanny but good right Right. Uh, Arshavin's brother's playing in this tournament, not the one he sent to England, the one that, that plays in Russia. Obviously, the man likes being at or near his home, doesn't he? It's, uh, I guess, the loan away has given him a new sense of confidence, and he, he plays with more freedom for Russia as well. And he's He tends to be stuck in one of the wider positions for Arsenal, and that's, I guess, not really where he wants to play. Suddenly, he's come to life, and he's been creative, and, and uh, you know, Russia look a, a really powerful force. The one question mark about Russia would be Kershikov, who's, who, I have to say, hasn't looked very good over the the first couple of games as a bit bit of an understatement the man had for a team that won 4-1 they sure did miss a lot of chances they really did but Zhigoyev another one we picked out ahead of the tournament has been outstanding uh, obviously the goals he scores say that much but uh, he's also been dovetailing really nicely with Arshavin and, and uh, Russia have got a really kind of flexible front three-ish there and, and they look really good and the Czechs are just about still in it aren't they uh, after that hammering but um, they've come back into it with a victory over Greece now and Poland that's a touch and go whether they're going to go through I suppose I mean they put together such a passionate display didn't they in the in the opening game and, and didn't get anything out of it well they, they got a point just... and then another one in the in the next game right and so I mean that's going to be a really close group as well and, and you can't say for sure that Poland gets through you kind of hope they do because um, the Polish people clearly desperately want it and scenes in Warsaw after their game the other night were, were pretty stunning yeah I mean the kind of passionate highlights of the tournament so far have been the Ukraine game and the Polish games as you would expect given they're the host nation to the tournament but that Poland-Russia game was one of the most charged atmospheres I can remember I don't know if you saw the link of the video that I sent you over Twitter that was Polish fans 
fans celebrating in one of the pan- fan parks in Warsaw. Right, yeah. And just, I mean, it happened on Russia Day. A bunch of crazy Russians marched through Warsaw, which if anyone isn't, like, up on European history, they, those countries go way back, you know, lo- lots of uh, conquering and reconquering. Russian fans unveiling a picture of the prince who liberated Russia in the 1700s with the emblem, this is Russia, underneath, which either was a kind of, you know, statement of nationalistic intent or was saying Warsaw is part of Russia, which is obviously not a particularly politically correct statement. And then that Russian team, who had blown the Czech Republic absolutely out of the water, really struggled to contain a, a resurgent Polish side. And I think, actually, uh, you could say that, that that's a huge point for Poland. I think most people would have expected them to be beaten quite heavily by a, you know, a technically much more gifted side, but Polish made themselves very hard to break down. Well, that man, Blazikowski, again, who had a pretty poor game, got to say, but spanked in a superb goal. Yeah, I mean, the, the, some impressive play down the right-hand side from the Polish side. Um, Lewandowski looks impressive, although he hasn't exactly lit up the tournament so far, but he, you know, he looks bright and runs into channels. They won't stop going on about him being linked to Manchester United. I, I, I think that's a no-go myself. Do you, What do you think? It's, a, it's an absolute definite, not a chance in hell, no-go. I don't think there's any suggestion United are even interested, even if Dortmund were prepared to sell, which they're not. Right, so that, that's a nice one. Talking of Dortmund players, United are linked to Jonathan Pierce calling Hummels yesterday a potentially future Manchester United player. Well, he definitely looks United class and style and all of it. He, he would be a fantastic buy. Unfortunately, United should have bought him last summer and his price will be in excess of 20 million or so. Euros, pounds, dollars, whatever currency you want to think about here. Probably way out of our budget. So the, that Polish game against Russia might have been my single favourite game of the tournament just for sheer kind of thrills and spills. But the, the, the game in which I've been most impressed by the football was perhaps unsurprisingly Italy against Spain in Group C. A three a three yeah. five two against a four six naught. That's the dream. That is the dream. Incredible scenes. Well, the, the real dream is to have no strikers on either side, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's... I mean, Bar- Barcelona have you know pioneered the two eight naught formation, which they've been playing for some time now. So Spain haven't quite got all the way there, but yeah, not far off. It's a, listening to Del Bosque. He's he's interesting when he, he explains this because you know, I think it's a real difference and it, it's a kind of case study and difference in mentality between people in the English media all going how can you do this no strikers on the team no strikers on the team and and he was very calm about it and said look we played with a nine now it might not be your idea of a nine but it's my idea of a nine and the David Silva is an attacking player Cesc Fabregas is an attacking player Andres Iniesta is an attacking player it really doesn't matter who we play there they're all attacking players and and he's very calm about it and there's no sense of panic that they're not going to score enough goals or anything like that and and he's quite content to leave his sort of forwards traditional forwards and Lorente and Negredo and Torres on the bench I mean I actually think that that 4-6-0 did not work I was rooting for it because I like the art project aspect of it but I mean first of all full credit full credit to Prandelli for going with a back three against no strikers love it absolutely love what is more Italian than that I mean actually it it was a, a very fluid very attacking very impressive counter-attacking Italian I didn't mean attacking I mean counter-attacking Italy um, who once Balotelli had gone off and didn't Italy 
came on looked incredibly dangerous, the more dangerous the two. But I would really strongly argue that the 4-6-0 just did not work for Spain. There were so many times when their midfield players had opportunity and possession. There was just no one ahead of them to pass to. It's all very well saying Silva's attacking, Fabregas is attacking, but their mentality is not that of a striker. And when Torres came on, on the Football Ramble, Luke Moore was saying he kind of proved the point. Uh, Ironically, of course, he didn't score any goals because he's Fernando Torres, but he looked, he made so many chances with his movement. He he looked really dangerous. And what has Fernando Loriente done to Vincenzo Del Bosque? It's not quite as simple as that. Yeah, I understand what you mean. Uh, Spain suddenly looked like they were going to create chances when Torres came on and and the striker's movement, which was very different um, to the the very false nine of of, uh, Cesc Fabregas, who who often played in a a midfield position, uh, but as the forward player. I I get what you mean in terms of uh, looking more effective, but it's not how Del Del Bosque wants them to play. I mean, he he does want them to play with players breaking from deep. He wants them to play with that false nine, right? Have five of them and one striker. No, no, but that's the point I'm making. He doesn't want them to play like that. It's got nothing to do with needing a striker up there and needing someone ahead of the ball as the focal point. That's not how he wants them to play. He wants someone to come deep and he wants other midfielders to break ahead of the ball. And that was the problem, not their tactical system, in Del Bosque's mind. I I am not by any means a kind of Neanderthal when it comes to football. As I say, I was was rooting for the 4-6-0. I was loving seeing that kind of tactical innovation at this level of football. It wasn't a 4-6-0. I know we're making fun of it, but it's just not how they played, right? Just because Cesc Fabregas is a midfielder in our pigeonholes, you know, that we all do because that's that's how we that's how we kind of quantify what football is. Doesn't mean that's how they played. I haven't got a heat map in front of me. You can say it's a 4-5-1 if you like, but that's 4-5-1 in the hole, not one up front. As you say, it was an incredibly false false nine. You know, they normally have forward players, right? They normally have a striker on the pitch. Just because we will determine them as a striker. Del Bosque is saying that is not true. He's wrong! Well, I mean, I'm thinking that two European Cups and, and a European Championship and a few La Ligas and stuff qualifies him to say what he's saying here, which, and he said it very clearly, right? You know, in our in our English minds, we're going, there's no strikers, this is this is bizarre, we don't get it, you know? And, and, and we mock it and we point at it and we laugh at these strange people that possess by demons there's a there's a kind of wonderful genius to the tactics because Italy have got that three at the back and it kind of made them somewhat redundant in 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 a kind of one-to-one sense but they were they were worked incredibly hard and actually uh, De Rossi's performance at sweeper regardless of the fact that he had one sleeve longer than the other it would have been my favorite perform my favorite individual performance of the tournament anyway even if it wasn't for the sleeves the sleeves just added a level of magic to it which I don't know it's, it's hard to quantify in words anyway all I'm saying is I felt like against Italy they would have done better with their plan B than they did with their plan A. We'll leave this one to the listeners because you can you can go off to UEFA's official site and have a statistics section with the heat maps there. And here's the word on this one. There is no difference between Italy and Spain. None. None. If you can spot the difference, there's a prize on offer. Go go off and do it. And anyway, look, Italy, I, very impressed with them. I thought they were good. And, and in their own way, they were very tactically innovative as well. I mean, you said three, but in truth, it wasn't really three because it was three in possession uh, Prandelli actually said this uh, afterwards I mean because he rejected the notion that there were five defenders he said there were three defenders and when they defended they went back to four because Pirlo sat in the back love four love it love it uh, which became back four and, and with two midfielders in there and so you know following the Spanish path of not actually playing any defenders or strikers 
brilliant and, and and then when they attacked they went with three right and and the, the wing backs were truly wing backs and they really pushed forward into midfield so i thought they were very innovative too i mean clearly they didn't have a lot of possession and uh, it's no surprise you know because that's spain play that short passing tiki taka style that that doesn't give the ball away ever and they cherish it unlike england only only england had less possession than italy in the first round of the tournament right yeah well and, and greece i think in the first game but so they didn't have a lot of possession but they were effective with the possession they had right and and they did look dangerous and it looked like they could score and, and they caused Spain problems and Spain will certainly have to think about whether they need to follow your advice and suggestion and, and change their tactical makeup in the future when they come across better teams in Italy because there are better teams in Italy in this I, tournament. I think Italy are going to win that's my that's my little sn- I think Germany are the best team in the tournament I think Spain are probably also the best team in the tournament you know they're just wonderful in different ways but I, I just have this little sneaky feeling that Italy are going to win this tournament that's a complete nonsense obviously but but I just have a, a, a little suspicion but the Balotelli miss they, it was extraordinary when he took the ball off Ramos then sort of went and stood in front of the goalkeeper for a bit to let Ramos have a chance to come back and tackle him it looked like he forgot where he was who he was what was going on what the round thing at the bottom of his leg was all that stuff yeah bizarre wasn't it really bizarre and obviously he was hauled off very shortly afterwards Prandelli said it's not a punishment but it kind of seemed like it didn't it and absolutely typical that Di Natale would come on and scored with basically his first touch yeah gorgeous uh, anyway that was that was my that was my pick of the first round of games what, what, what was yours well for, for Shea quality I, I think that was the the standout game I, I really enjoyed Germany Holland for different reasons because I, I thought Germany just looked awesome in terms of their control of it uh, I enjoyed Poland Russia for the passion on show and I even enjoyed and we'll come on to group Ukraine beating Sweden which was a uh, technically an awful game you know that, Ukraine definitely played better football but I think pretty poor standard of f- football all all round uh, so I enjoyed that one I definitely did not enjoy the England game again we'll talk about this in a bit I didn't much enjoy the Republic of Ireland game I thought they were passionate the fans were great but they were awful and and Croatia just kind of brushed them aside so easily Denmark and Portugal as I said earlier I thought it was really entertaining so you know some good stuff there and in between some not so good stuff yeah I mean it- even the the games which have not been so good. I mean, the Croatia game, the Croatia Ireland game, had a lot to enjoy uh, if you were watching it as a neutral because Croatia was so excellent. I I, I think very unlikely that the Republic are going to be able to qualify now because they have to get stuff out of Spain and Italy. I don't think that's going to be very easy for them whatsoever. Obviously, they're they're just way 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 behind in terms of technical ability. The other teams in their group and you know a lot, a lot was made of Trapattoni well organised and defensive and within three minutes they made a massive howler and put them hugely on the back foot nicked one then from a set piece and then but then it was just they were just all at sea at the back and if you're a kind of tight well organised side and you lose the ability to be tight and well organised then you're really going to struggle yes and and that was the thing I mean we talked about them ahead of the tournament and and how they had so many clean sheets and and they'd built on being as you say tight and well organised and not conceding goals and and, uh, taking advantage of the few chances they get so uh, to concede three goals which were all preventable uh, it's got Trapattoni must have gone mad afterwards and, and the Irish players must have done too because there'd been so much talk beforehand about how this was their big chance this game was their big chance and and so yeah we're, we're recording ahead of the game with Spain so chances are they'll get absolutely spanked and, and that'll be them in real real trouble with Italy to come yeah and I think the 4-6-0 would be 
extremely effective against the Republic of Ireland. But anyway, uh, that, that's that's a debate we can keep having off the air. So Group D, brave John Terry and his English lines. Now, actually, I really did quite enjoy the England game. I, I was actually really rather impressed with England. You said in this, the preview, and nobody would ever fault you for saying this because it's clearly been the truth that Gerard will not have the tactical discipline to sit in the two banks of four and will cause all sorts of problems for England. He did. He was incredibly tactically disciplined. His passing was kind of okay. I thought Danny had a really good game. Just the the, the player you want the lead in the line, I think. I, I really, I think he's just getting better and better, isn't he, Danny Welbeck? And, and to see him kind of be fairly impressive in a in a very ordinary England side was was good to see. Actually, John Terry had a pretty good game. The, the thing that I was most disappointed with was France. They really were lacking going forward and, and that one screamer from Nasri where in fact then Gerard and Parker had been sucked so far deep that there was no way that Joe Hart could see through the 150 players in the England box uh, to save it but but apart from that screamer from Nasri they were really lucky I thought Karim Benzema was playing way way too deep I thought that they, they, they were letting Nasri and Ribéry get too far away from Benzema and I thought Ribéry looked really ordinary and I've seen him look ordinary a number of times I, I assume that he's an excellent player because everyone tells me he is but I don't ever remember really seeing seeing too many standout performances from Ribéry on the huge stage. Well, uh, I mean, I say I disagree with many points there. <laughs> many, almost all of them, in fact. So Excellent. Uh, uh, look, um, I, I'm not sure I found anything about England's performance impressive. I mean, I, I suppose if you just want to sit in front of your goal and defend, then that's impressive. Well, you've got to play to your strengths, right? They're not, they're not very good. Yeah, fine. They're not very good, and that's what they played to their strengths. They they also played to get lucky, right? Which is what they did. So uh, against France, they did concede uh, from one of those longer shots, and and France had a lot of those. And and the the, the problem with the French is they weren't able to come up with another plan to get uh, move England out of position, right? And England's tactics are all entirely 100% about shape so that's point one France weren't good enough to break that down for England and and fine England probably whether they knew that or not they they played the game plan but they did concede to that long shot they could have conceded more and France had seven shots inside the box 13 outside 20 in total Uh, four times as many as England managed and no surprise there but they very nearly conceded in the same way against Belgium in the in that friendly the week beforehand and it hit the post right and so they got lucky there if you play this system that's what you're going to have to rely on and Chelsea got very lucky against Barcelona and Bayern Munich I mean incredibly really I mean if your tactical system is based on hoping that the other team miss their chances then you've got a real problem and and we'll we'll see with England there's been some talk about whether they'll be able to open out for future games and Gerard said you know with respect to Sweden they're not France and we think we can be more ambitious but I have to say right now ahead of the game we'll, we'll test this one when we do our podcast next week I don't think England will be able to change their mentality sufficiently enough to make a real difference and I think they will have a problem with this I don't think you press the switch and you go from being ultra negative to attacking and you just do it like that with basically the same players so that's another point I want to make Gerard. I think he had a real problem I don't think he works in a two in midfield and the fact that he was 15 yards away from Nasri when Nasri scores tells me that didn't work he wasn't in the right position he should have been as the man that's furthest forward in that duo in, in that two he should have been the man challenging and he didn't he was nowhere near he can't play that role I just don't think he knows how to play it and I think that will be a problem for England going forward. Not least because Parker, it seems, is crocked and, and Jordan Henderson is now <laughs> going to be playing the holding role, you know. Let me just very quickly clarify one thing and then, then you can carry on with your quite correct rebuttal. When I say impressive, I don't mean they were 
actually impressive relative to the other teams in the tournament they were impressive relative to their own strengths so it's about expectations yeah exactly my expectation was so low that the fact that they got a jammy one all against a very under impressive french side yeah. kind of impressed me so but do do continue i, I had this i had this bay with with one of the guys from Eurosport and and uh, his average rating was for the English players on average for the 11 was higher than the French players and I was like are you, are you yanking my chain here mate I mean do you really think England were better than France so I mean if, if your expectations are that England were terrible and they're better than that then of course you readjust yourself but objectively France had as I said four times as many shots two thirds of the possession two thirds of the possession in the key attacking areas so key territory they twice as many passes you know 600 passes to 300 twice as many in the attacking area yeah so they weren't just passing it around at the back they were passing it around in England's final third and not being able to find a way through and that was the thing that was good about England it's actually it's the one area of John Terry's game that he can do if it's playing very deep and defending he can do it if it's an open game where there's space in behind he's got a massive massive problem and and this is one of the things that might cause England problems against Sweden so you know so if your expectations are in the gutter and and you're looking at the stars to bastardize a quote then fine England did better than many people have expected uh, pre-tournament we'll see whether they can flip that switch and and uh, suddenly become an attacking side I, I think they're going to have real problems with it I, I just like to say at no point in what I said did I indicate that I think England are going to do well in this tournament moving forward because th- I think you're absolutely right and we've seen it so often I mean you know if England had conceded first the game would have been very different I mean th- that's one of the ways in which they got lucky was they scored first and you, you set up like that you darned well better score first it's the only strategy they have uh, look maybe maybe it will be different against Sweden Sweden are, as we've seen are not very good uh, and they're not very technically sound so England ought to have a decent share of possession this time you know it, I have to, it might not be a very good game uh, Ukraine might be different though because Ukraine did keep the ball uh, uh, in their opening game they that's one of the good things about them they looked like they had absolutely no penetration for most of the game until uh, you know a hobbling Shevchenko suddenly got up and scored twice much to my annoyance after I written him off in very public fashion I I just loved that game now with genuine apologies to our Swedish listeners um, especially at Myrta123 who's one of the Rankcast's biggest fans I I must apologise to all all the people of Sweden but I loved seeing those Sheva goals and the crowd going nuts and him just just the whole ridiculous romantic fairy tale of it all actually that game makes it very difficult for England because Sweden desperately need a win and then they get to play Ukraine who know that a win will be enough to take them through at home whatever happens in the France-Ukraine game so it's, it's going to be really difficult for England to even qualify from this group now yeah it is Yeah, it's, yeah. it's interesting that you talked about um, Sweden's technical prowess the thing is their overall like percentage technical if you if you take all their players and you give them a score of 1 to 100 on technical ability and then you average it all out I'm sure that will still be higher than England's overall average because they have Zlatan whose technical ability is 99 stroke 100 any game in which Zlatan Ibrahimovic scores and Andrei Shevchenko scores is alright with me glorious old time AC Milan against current Milan I mean I thought Zlatan had an okay game I mean, he's clearly a cut above isn't he everyone else in, in that same team and, and kind of knows it as well and, and uh, playing in a slightly 
different position than we might expect him to play at club level you know, for most of his career and a little bit deeper not not quite in midfield as uh, they try to suggest on the TV but kind of floating in between and, and he caused some problems for Ukraine but in the end Sweden were just overwhelmed I mean a little bit with uh, Ukraine's ability to keep the ball uh, which Sweden just could not do they're too English about it too impatient too willing to knock the ball long too willing to look for a killer pass when they didn't need to do that and they could try and work some space which is what Ukraine did and it's really funny though with Shevchenko because he was he was hobbling around he just did not look fit and you just thought he really shouldn't uh, I, I said he, he was in the team out of sentimental reasons and of course he scored twice in very quick succession as soon as I said that yeah no better reasons than sentimental reasons as far as I'm concerned what's the point of football without sentiment it's like the whole crowd going Sheva Sheva it was just like brought a little tear to the eye that did I loved loved seeing that so anyway I, that's definitely enough about England that's for sure although I guess we need to return to them when we talk about the United players in action not a brilliant tournament so far for United players as as I don't think World Cup 2010 was either Nani as you said excellent for Portugal in their second game pretty nondescript in their first game yes he was yeah I mean he made up for it in the in the game against Denmark and uh, when he was very good and he was very attacking he played some, some really good passes as well and really looked on it yeah uh, not not so good in the game against Germany I guess Danny Welbeck did alright uh, weird thing about this so, you know obviously there's tons of statistics and stuff the official UEFA statistics which they've now revised had Danny Welbeck misplacing half of his passes which he didn't do he didn't do he, he didn't get the ball very often I think that was the problem with Welbeck but when he got it he was neat and tidy and he laid it off to various people he didn't have a single shot in the game and that says a lot about England I suppose but also says something about Welbeck he was, he was uh, interlinking play when he could but he, he really wasn't an attacking threat ditto Ashley Young as well really I mean aside from that one pass he played for James Milner in three or four minutes into the game which should have which should have resulted in a goal of course for England he he really wasn't much of a threat too and that might be a bit of a concern for Hodgson uh, Phil Jones didn't play Evra had a decent game for France quite vocal after the game as well about England's tactics as you'd expect with Petris I think and so yeah mixed tournament for United players overall uh, yeah not brilliant so far but it's very early days I mean we always see this with tournaments that it's really dangerous to kind of characterise them after the first round of games and we've had a trickle of the, the second round of games but the, the narrative of the tournament narrative of players performance at tournaments tends to be written in the latter stages doesn't it that's that's when it really comes to life yeah totally although they look they've been some impressive players outside the United players I thought Iniesta and Pirlo were outstanding in that, that Italy-Spain game De Rossi if we mentioned De Rossi was great at the back Schweinsteiger has been superb oh. how good was he against Holland he just controlled the entire midfield Kadira has impressed me in, in a way because he's played in a much more attacking way than, than he has done in the past for Germany Germany as a whole have just become more offensive since the World Cup and, and Kadira is bursting forward he's more of a box-to-box player where you thought he was a defensive player before Schneider we mentioned Hummel's outstanding Blazinovsky rubbish but you know the passion what a hit son what a hit Mandzukic from Croatia fantastic Modric oh my god Modric's performance against the Republic that was I mean that was a sight to behold that was that was I hope you know Ferguson had wood there and he was on the on the phone to the Glazers begging them to release some funds Schweinsteiger and Modric should be like not I don't mean both of them or even either of them are realistic but at watching the tournament you just think which of these players would, would most try transform united and for me it's it's those two well, well both of them would be awesome yeah i mean it's, it's very true um disappointments ronaldo yeah he's having he's having a shocker so far almost anyone in the dutch side yeah apart from wes 
I mean, in terms of like relative form, you'd have to say Van Persie's got to be the biggest disappointment because you kind of expect Robin to cut inside and blast it over the bar a lot, but but you expect Van Persie not to fall over every time he's six yards in front of goal, you know? Yeah, it's a shocker. I mean, obviously he scored that goal, but he's he's had a pretty poor tournament uh, overall, and and Huntelaar didn't like it, did he? You know, it's quite obvious that he felt he should be in the side, and and uh, you know maybe Van Persie should be. Who who knows? I mean, we might see in the the last game they might make some Van Marwick might make some changes there. And when when you say Van Marwick, do you mean Ian Rush? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Silver Fox that he is. Um, I, I'd like to offer an official apology to Klaus-Jan Huntelaar for suggesting that his 40 goals last season came in the Dutch League, uh, when, of course, they came in the German League. Very, very quite, different. Quite, quite, quite a different... So, major talking points from the, the tournament. I mean, ta- tactics, we'd mentioned, thought it's been really interesting that, you know, the amount of teams that have been really offended. And 4-2-3-1 is the definite dominant 4-8 formation, as it was at World Cup. Yeah, no, no surprise. N- yeah. No surprise, really. But it just feels like a much more offensive tournament doesn't it you know there's so much negative football in South Africa and, and this will not even though in some games we have had teams parking the bus you know England Ireland Greece at times Holland how negative have they been yeah De Jong De Jong and Van Bommel that's got to be the strangest team selection of the tournament you could say it all you want as I did about Spain not picking a recognised stri- striker but the the fact that Holland went with De Jong and Van Bommel in that first game I mean I guess you, the logic dictates it's the first game you absolutely don't want to lose so you play with your two defensive midfielders Van Bommel and De Jong but you're against Denmark which is probably the weakest side in the group although could argue that they qualified ahead of Portugal in qualification and they're obviously ranked ahead of them in the oh so reliable FIFA rankings but but you know Denmark definitely not as good as Holland so why not play that more attacking player and then the, the two defensive midfielders is clearly not working but Van Marwijk seems scared to change it because he's up against Germany and doesn't want say Van der Vaart and Van Bommel to be overrun but it really did make the Dutch less effective and and a lot of Robin's kind of ridiculous uh, Robin's ridiculous greediness was to do with the fact that there weren't the players buzzing around him that they would have been if Van der Vaart was playing. Mm, it's been hugely disappointing overall and, and remarkable really because they did play some good football in the World Cup up until the final and they played some decent football during the qualification period they've been you know it's not total football from the Dutch a little montage before the Germany Holland game and a, a few of the people speaking and, and one, of, one of the talking heads said it's almost like they flipped and Germany's playing the total football and, and Holland's playing the functional football and I thought that was a good summary really and, yeah. and and Holland has been functional but not functioning functional football dysfunctional functional side like England it's a real shame it probably means Bert Van Marwijk's job yeah absolutely you know it's a surprise in a way that he got it because he's he's not had a stellar career really as a coach and he's not a big name and you expect one of the big names to come take it other talking points from the the tournament. I mean, aside from the football, there's there's been the whole racism issue, and we haven't really seen it in the ground. So I, I don't think you know the games are on and you're living your life, and so sometimes the sounds not the highest, and half paying attention while you're doing other things. But I've not seen anything that you know anything particularly terrible, and and that's that's kind of a relief. I guess maybe some of those big flashpoints haven't happened. The one big flashpoint was the game against Poland, the Poland Russia game uh, in Warsaw on Russia Day. But that's not about football is it it's about politics it's politics and and uh, you know UEFA have come out and handed down a six point suspended ban to Russia so it's really not much of a punishment at all unless something uh, another big incident happens so and and generally speaking the crowds have been pretty good I think I mean certainly some of the bigger nations brought lots of Germany Holland brought lots of fans Czech 
weeks brought lots of fans Poland being very patriotic and passionate England brought a decent amount of fans less than they might have done for some other tournaments uh, at Ireland fans were fantastic I thought you know 20,000 of them uh, in Poznan who completely dominated the, the stadium and, and uh, were singing away even though they were losing but loads of empty seats as well and it's disappointing and interesting some tickets are like average price like 30 euros but in, in parts of Ukraine that's that's 10% of the month's salary so you know for us that might be like 150 pounds or something you know just picking a number out of the air and, and so maybe that explains some of the empty seats but that's a shame isn't it and, and random people wearing a lot of random fancy dress as well that's the other thing i noticed lots and lots of people like dressed up and then some random man with a gimp mask on the other night very very scary yes there's been investigation into that on other football podcasts of the guardians football daily found out that it's some character called the phantasm or something from a french film from the 60s yeah any any time you're dressing up in fancy dress as a character from a french film in the 60s you know there's something a little going on a little left of center let's just say that sounds weird indeed tv coverage uh, I... uh, yeah uh, listen I, uh, this is easily without question without any shadow of a doubt the worst tournament in history for co-commentary and indeed commentary the, the the days of Barry Davis and even making me miss John Motson which is difficult to do because there's a pretty ordinary commentator old Motty but at least he got excited the, 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 the co-commentary has been absolutely abysmal actually depressing in some cases Martin Keown I find to be a very depressing commentator on opening night they sprung Mark Bright on us for the opening game of the tournament that's just wrong criminal just criminal of course the standards have been set by Gary Neville haven't they and and no one yeah. no one gets anywhere near that yeah i agree i think the commentary and the co-commentary has been very poor that the bbc on the red button have a no commentary function which is actually quite not i haven't done it all the time but i did it for a little bit of the game uh, a couple of nights ago and and uh, that's just quite nice taking some of the atmosphere for a while and and don't listen to people whittering on yeah i, I have to say that the punditry has not been bad the studio punditry has been all right the, the funny thing is i'm normally very critical of itv's coverage but i think the fact that they've actually got a studio and it feels like there's some atmosphere and they're part of the tournament in some way even if they're in a, a square in Warsaw you know it, you can see the stadium behind Roy Keane's scowl <laughs> and which has been a real feature of the of the punditry hasn't it Roy Keane's scowl and, but that has made a difference and I think the BBC's decision to not spend uh, on having an outside broadcast simply because the Daily Mail ran a negative piece about the cost of their outside broadcast facility in South Africa was ridiculous because they spent about 35 million on media rights for this spending another million on having a studio there makes no difference and penny pinching and it's sport their coverage I think yeah Alan Shearer in Poland was a particular highlight for me because he looked so happy I have never in my life apart from when he's just scored a goal seen Alan Shearer look that happy it was really nice he looked relaxed and actually said some interesting things about the game yeah Sam I, I mean I do think as a pundit he is like say what you see and maybe maybe it's helped him that he doesn't have a screen in front of him right so he's actually got to think about what's happened maybe that's what it was Again, this is relative to the standards set by the man. He's having a good tournament. Clarence Seedorf in the BBC studio is obviously a joy because he's Clarence Seedorf. Doesn't say terribly much, but he just looks very friendly all the time. And he's kept it awake, which helps, you know. He doesn't always with his, his punditry, does he? He looks like he's, you know, not to pull any cliches here, but he might have been having a little bit of a toke now and again. I, I've really enjoyed Roberto Martinez on ITV's coverage. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, Adrian Charles is 
terrible just terrible don't like him at all I mean he's gone from you know happy happy go lucky sort of guy to just being a bit irritating yeah I, I really like I was a fan of working lunch you know what can I tell you I, I, I used to be a big Adrian Charles fan but he's not enjoying there was one uh, game where they, in the build up to the Italy game where they just had an Italian man essentially they were they were in a cafe and uh, there was three of them there the three pundits Strachan Martinez and one other and behind them was sat an Italian man Emiliano from Milano and he just basically turned round and joined in with the pundits it was marvellous can't leave this section without mentioning uh, of course you know the opening game for both of the TV channels uh, they had at some point to come to the issue of racism and both of them did exactly the same thing the presenter said so uh, racism and and then how do you feel turning to the token black guy in the studio and I've got to say that was so crass and so pathetic as a piece of journalism that really annoyed me there's an interesting moment when Gary Lineker said of course when the football starts we can all put that behind us and, and essentially just summing up the whole societal role of professional sport which is to distract us all from the real issues yeah right but, but you know they've it's done it extremely well what's your goal of the tournament so far well maybe it was mario gomez against holland lovely spin and turn or blazinovsky's lovely hit with his left foot against russia maybe those two are my favorites so far yeah, those are the exact same ones that i would have picked so it's, it's there's been some crackers though oh pavlyachenko against uh, poland yes Yes, stunning uh, goal. Stunning, stunning goal. One thing that's been really disappointing in this tournament, especially with so many of our brothers in Eastern and Central Europe in the tournament, that region has abandoned the mullet like America did in about 1992. The, the mullet's just gone. The only thing that you could even call a mullet is David Silver's fairly long on the sides and longer on the back. I claimed that one of the poles had a mullet and I was corrected on this and told that a mullet, the definition of a mullet is, is business on top, party at the back. Uh, and they go, exactly. yeah, so you're right. Yep, no mullets. Your mullet watch is uh, sadly lacking. So funny, England players all went to the hairdressers and, and Wayne Rooney now has this weird kind of 50s kind of quiff thing going on top with the with the fake hair wow. on top, you know, the stuff that's been plucked out of his bum. And, and then he's got it shaved around the sides. It's a very, very odd look. He's basically said, hey, la, can you make me look like David Beckham when he did that thing with the Olympic torch? And the barber's gone, can't really. He said, if I give you like uh, 300, quid can you pretend and barbara's gone uh, all right i will then and sort of piled his pretend hair up as best he could the, one of the worst haircuts in human history yes not not a mullet but still pretty embarrassing so talking of wayne rooney he will be back in action for england before we reconvene to do another one of these i believe twice yeah so well oh yes and you know, just the once yeah he'll be back but yeah england will be playing twice before we reconvene and so by the time we are with you again next week england will have played twice and they'll probably be out the tournament yeah so i think in lieu of picking games and previewing them we've gone quite long already let's just go through the groups and pick our two teams that are going to qualify from each group. All right, Group A, I, I'm going to say Russia and Poland. Yeah, me too, same. Group B, I think it'll be Portugal and Germany. It's a tricky one, but there's there's a possibility that Denmark and Germany could draw, taking them both through. Uh, I just I don't see that because it's going to really rely on the way the other game goes. Uh, so yeah, okay, no, I'm, I'm with you. They could fix it, yeah. There's been some talk about this, yeah. Group C, I, I can't look, I mean, obviously, uh, in lieu of today's games, uh, I can't see beyond 
beyond Italy and Spain. No, me neither. And 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 as I said earlier, I think Italy have become my weird pick to win the tournament. I, I don't know why I think that, but Croatia have got a chance in this group. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I I just think Italy and Spain all have too much for Croatia. Yep. And in Group D, I think France and Ukraine are going to go through. I mean, you know, I don't want to be accused of being unpatriotic here. <laughs> England being the country of my birth and where I live. You're unpatriotic. That's not an accusation because patriotism is not a virtue. You just, you're not a patriotic man. This is this is a, not a bad thing. Here's my prediction. It's slightly different from my, my pre-tournament prediction was England would lose to France and draw with Sweden and draw with Ukraine. I actually think now England have got a draw with France. I think England will draw with Sweden. I haven't beaten them competitively since 1968, remember? And I think England needing to beat Ukraine will lose. Oh, it's dramatic. I think that England and France are going to go through. I feel like maybe they, they can beat Sweden. But if they don't, I'm not going to be too sad about it. If I, I'd sort of almost rather Sweden went through than the Ukraine. Uh, have the Polish in for some, some home ties later in the tournament. But but uh, Sweden has Latin and we've got a lot of Swedish listeners. I guess we've got more English listeners, but still. We have a very international audience. We do. Uh, I, I'd quite like Sweden, though, generally. You know, I like ABBA and IKEA and stuff. And Zlatan. Those are the three things that you think of when you think of Sweden, right? Well, and, and the Swedish chef off the Muppets, obviously. <laughs> yeah, work, work, work. Well, on that highly analytical and detailed point, I think we should call it a day for for this week's show. And, and we'll be back with you for a third version of the Eurocast next week and find out whether any of our predictions actually came true and whether Spain will play a striker or any defenders. And uh, I reckon they might become the first team in history to play a 0-10-0 formation. Beautiful. At some point in this tournament. It'd be great if they do. I'm just absolutely loving the tournament so far. It's I, I've really got into this in a way I haven't got into a tournament for a really long time. It, it's just been a, a treat, a festival of football. There's been so much entertaining football on display and so many teams that look like they, they could promise something and a few teams that look really outstanding, particularly Germany. And yeah, it's, it's just been great. And I think for me, there's a kind of relief in pressure of not having any expectation around England it makes the tournament more enjoyable as a person who is in England not to be kind of constantly bombarded everywhere you go with the St George's Cross and the kind of you know our brave boys up and at sort of mentality it's nice not to have that surrounding a tournament makes it kind of slightly more easy going affair and, and yep been loving it yes and, and England fans haven't caused any trouble yet which is which is always good well we'll be back with you next week I've enjoyed it hope you've been enjoying the football and we'll be with you in a week's time Start wearing purple, wearing purple Start wearing purple for me now All your sanity and wits, they will all vanish I promise, it's just a matter of time So yeah Start wearing purple, wearing purple Since you were a 20 I was 20 And thought that some years from now A purple little little lady Will be perfect For dirty old and useless clown So yeah
from diogenes to the full core from logic can do passport oh.